0: Holy Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those with the table. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, Jesus said leave her alone she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial you always have the poor with you but you do not always have me the gospel of the Lord
1: in the name of the Holy Trinity one God amen. This lesson we have today from John's gospel is, is the first time that we have had this lesson on this particular Sunday in Lent, because we're now using the revised common lectionary. I believe it was uh, usually prescribed for uh, Easter Monday, but it's so appropriate that this be where it is, because this lesson, I think, speaks to us about the very core of the gospel, which is love. And it's demonstrated by Mary who literally enacts that gift of love. I think it's helpful, first of all, to set this particular lesson in context. Uh, Jesus is visiting the house of of, uh, Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And just before this, uh, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And the word of that had gotten around to the point where the chief priests and the Pharisees were very concerned. And they called a meeting. They came together in council and they said that if we let him go on like this, the Romans will come and destroy both our holy places and our nation. And Caiaphas, the chief priest at the time, reminded them that it's better that one man should die for the nation than for all to perish. When I read that, I thought... I think I would have had to have voted for the one to die rather than for the whole nation. I am in sympathy with those who at the time heard those words, heard that argument, perhaps knew a little bit about Jesus, but they were also concerned about the order and about the importance of maintaining a reasonable relationship with the Roman occupiers. So I think we need to be careful when we think about the chief priests and the Pharisees because it's possible that you or I would have voted with them. That happens just before this account that we have of the dinner at Mary, Martha and Lazarus home. One can imagine that they came together probably in celebration of what had happened because if Lazarus had died, These two sisters would have been left alone without a male as the head of their household, and they would have been threatened as well and perhaps would have had a very difficult life. So in a sense, Jesus returned to life, not just Lazarus, but that entire nuclear family. Jesus had literally saved them from death. So they come together for a meal. And it's important, I think, for us also to recognize what happens when these folks come together right afterward, because apparently the word was out. They were very concerned about what was going on with Jesus and also about Lazarus, because the word had gotten out. He'd been raised from the dead. And a few passages later, we find them saying that not only does Jesus need to be killed, but Lazarus needs to be killed as well. Because after all, he is a witness to what Jesus had done. He was the subject of it. They must both be killed. So, what Jesus did in the raising of Lazarus was actually sealing his fate. It was the beginning of the end of that earthly ministry. It was the ultimate in revealing who he was as the Christ, but it also was the ultimate in terms of pushing the authorities. Those are the two events, essentially, that mark uh, the bookends for this passage we have today. Lazarus being raised, the concern of the authorities at the temple, and also the concern of those continuing after that meal, wondering what should be done with Lazarus and Jesus. And then finally, Jesus coming into Jerusalem in that wonderful entry that we will celebrate on the next Sunday. Now for what happens at Martha, Mary and Lazarus home, they come together for that celebratory meal. And at some point during the meal, Mary gets up and pours on Jesus feet a very expensive perfume that was made from nard, which apparently came from India. So it was a very expensive commodity. In fact, we know from what uh, Judas said that it was uh, valued at probably 300 denarii. Now, one denarii was probably the amount that a common laborer would get for working one day. So 300 denarii was the equivalent of perhaps a day laborers earnings for almost a year. And she was pouring it out, all of it on Jesus feet. But. Even more happens. She undoes her hair and her long hair falls and it falls over Jesus feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, if that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, if it seems a little bit too sensual, you're right. (laughs) That was bordering on a sexual act that was going beyond the border of normal intimacy. For a woman in the Middle East, even today to undo her hair in full in public and certainly for someone at her time to do that in the presence of a male who was not a part of the household was disgraceful, but it expressed the intimacy that was there between Jesus and Mary and that pouring out of the great perfume that filled the aroma of which filled the whole house was clearly a sign of the pouring out of her love for him. It was with a purpose that she wiped his feet with her hair. It was to let her know that nothing stood between the two of them in her admiration and her love for him. Now, I want to be very clear about one thing. I'm not suggesting that there was a relationship between Mary and Jesus or any other Mary and Jesus. I think the scholars will say that there's not enough evidence for that, but it does say something about the physicality of the disciples and their relationship with Jesus, even of the women who were close to him. She was showing him how completely she loved him, the kind of love that perhaps is only ultimately expressed between lovers. And we find that kind of expression many places in scripture. Sexuality is often used as a sign of the kind of love that exists between God and us. It is us at our most vulnerable moment standing in the presence of God and being embraced fully by that God, loving us, loving us, loving us. Well, it's not a good thing for for Judas to have been present because Judas thought this was all a very bad idea. After all, we could have sold that uh, wonderful perfume and we would have had 300 denarii to give to the poor. And John, the writer of this gospel, he's not quite so convinced. He uh, gives us probably more information than we need about Judas because what does he know about what's going on in Judas's head? But he says Judas is a liar. Judas didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He wanted to increase the treasury so he could skim off a bit more money. Well, I think this particular lesson is important to us for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it gives us an opportunity to look at the characteristics of followers of Jesus. Here we have clearly two different kinds of disciples. Mary, on the one hand, was pouring herself out, was indicating in that intimate way how much she loved and adored Jesus for what he had done in their life, for sure. But perhaps more than that. But I think in Judas, what we see is a disciple who had a different idea about how Jesus should be as Messiah. I think Judas believed that Jesus was going to ultimately lead a rebellion that would overthrow the Roman authority end the occupation and return the dignity of the nation. And when it was clear that that was not going to happen, I think it was very easy for Judas to betray Jesus because he didn't see him as anything other than the one he had hoped for but would not fulfill that hope. I'm sure that at times Judas had been enamored of the teachings of Jesus and even perhaps very impressed with some of the signs and wonders that he experienced in his presence, but that wasn't enough and clearly Judas was not one willing to pour himself out in love of the master Mary, on the other hand, was different. She Knew who Jesus was and was not just enamored of his teachings or one who was impressed with the signs and wonders, but she understood that what Jesus was calling her to was a pouring out of her life, pouring out of her love, and following him in a way that might even mean death. Because she knew, I believe she knew, what was going to happen to Jesus. And I believe she knew that because of all the turmoil that was going on around the rumors having to do with Lazarus being raised by Jesus and the authorities being threatened by it. And we know that there are many ways that you can look at any passage of scripture. And certainly one of the things that we can see in this is a prefiguring of Passover itself and of what Jesus would do at Passover. Jesus would wash the feet of his disciples, an act that was never done by the master of the house or by the one giving the dinner, but rather by slaves or by servants. And in doing so, Jesus reminds all of us that we are called to serve, not to be served. We are called to pour out our love, to pour out our life. And ultimately, we know that Jesus does that. Pouring out his life on what we call Good Friday on the cross. And I think also in this story, we see a prefiguring of Jesus death. And, and we see that when Jesus rebukes Judas and he says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. The death of Jesus is in the air in that household. I think Mary knows very well his days are numbered well as we think about Mary and the devotion that she had to Jesus I think we must also think about our own lives and think about what it is that might really speak to us as good news and I think that one way of expressing the good news is to say that it is us being called to love unconditionally. It is us being called to love the unlovable. It is us being called to love those that we argue with and greatly disagree with. And who you know, we've got all kinds of opportunity in this very political season we live in to find somebody that we disagree with and really find a hard time loving. It is calling us to love even someone we may call our enemy. That is the call of Christ in our lives. It is a call to simply love. It is not about what we believe as much as it is about what we do with what we believe. It is how we enact and embody, incarnate the love of God present wherever we are. That is the call to the Christian life. I know many of you admire the work of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and perhaps some of you have picked up his, his new book uh, just released, Made for Goodness. And in that book, uh, he ends each of his chapters with an opportunity to listen to God. And they are their poetic expressions of Archbishop Tutu that are what he hears God saying to him. And a portion of that, I think, relates directly to this concept of the call to be loving human beings as the Christian call. But this is what he says. Ask me any question. My answer is love. When you want to hear my voice, listen for love. How can you delight me? I will tell you. Love. The tough, unbreakable, unshakable Love. Are you looking for me? You will find me in love. Would you know my secrets? There is only one. Love. Do you want to know me? Do you yearn to follow me? Do you want to reach me? Seek and serve love. Amen.